again, this is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan. I'm joined by my lovely daughter, Bethany, and we are back now. Real-time listeners understand why I say that. Before we finish the C.S. Lewis uh, series, somewhere in that period of time, Bethany and I and a bunch of other people went to the Holy Lands, and uh, we came back. I wrote a special little program for you about the Holy Lands, and now here we are for a whole new series. So this is episode one Mm -hmm. of It's a Wonderful Life Bible Study, Book Study, and uh, it is the it is that familiar movie that we all watch at Christmas try, time about the journey of one Mr. George Bailey. Uh, we're recording this around the second Sunday of Advent, mm-hmm. so we're trying to put this around the time that uh, you would be thinking of such things. Chances are, every day of the week, there is a place on the uh, internet or your streaming device or cable TV somewhere almost every day during the next few weeks, you're going to have a chance to watch this movie. It's always funny to me, though, because it's really not a Christmas movie. Like, there's a very small portion of the movie that takes place at Christmas time. True. But it's always somehow it's it's become become this iconic Christmas movie. (laughs) Because it ends with Christmas. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, and I guess that's good because, you know, it's a story about an ordinary guy who grows up in a very ordinary uh, beginning of the 20th century town. Mm-hmm. And uh, it gives us a picture of life as it was in many small towns, in most small towns all over Midwest America. And in this case, it's in New York State somewhere in a fictional place called Bedford Falls. And... Uh, this story is basically about a guy who, you know, just like all of us, does little things throughout his life that don't seem to be that big a deal. But in the grand scheme of things, it shows the movie shows us how each one of us, just by living our lives and being who we are, makes a difference in every other life mm-hmm. and in every other part of community. And George has big plans. He's got... Uh, uh, got a sort of feeling like this little town is holding him back mm-hmm. that he wants to be he wants to live a bigger life in a bigger city in a bigger time he wants to travel the world he wants to build things mm-hmm. he's he's very smart he's very uh, uh, organized and adventurous and and he's got all these ambitions and then a series of events happen that change all of his plans and he's disappointed but in the end he finds out that he has a really wonderful life mm-hmm. and uh we all love it because it reminds us of something very important that we all need to realize is that every life matters and every life makes a difference. And uh, that's, that's the gist of the whole thing. So we're going to uh, do a book study that, uh, I, I should say, it's a, it's a study guide that was created by uh, the same people that gave us the C.S. Lewis study guide that we used in our um, previous study. It's Brown Chair Books. And I recommend that you get on their mailing list because they send out really nice emails that kind of help you in your personal study. They are uh, probably a small uh, outfit that I think was mostly devoted to C.S. Lewis. And yet they've gotten a little bit more afield in, in a way that's Seems positive because this small group of people has uh, has given us a way to to uh, do our Christian journey in a more contemporary way by reviewing more contemporary sources like C.S. Lewis, for example. And so this one is uh, is a study written in 2019 by Alan Vermillier. And we want to give him credit for the material that we're going to study. And if you'd like to pick up a copy of the book that we're using, you can get it on Amazon. And it's called It's the Wonderful Life Study Guide, a Bible study based on the Christian classic. It's a wonderful Christmas classic. It's a wonderful life. And it's written by Alan Vermillier of Brown Chair Books. So if you want to follow along, 
go on Amazon, it's like a $4.99 uh, Kindle download. And you can read that on your computer screen. You can read that on your smartphone. You can read that on your, your iPad or your Kindle or whatever. So, you know, it's a, it's a really cheap and easy uh, written material for you to get to join us in the study. But if you just listen with us and um, go along with us in these character studies and these various lessons, I think you'll be blessed. We will be playing segments from the movie, and you'll hear the audio. And again, if you do this study on your own or with your family or a couple of friends, you, you can download those segments, and you'll get, get, you'll get information on how to get all of that by uh, purchasing the book. However, if you don't purchase the book, like I said, it's not hard to see this movie this time of the year. And... Frankly, you can go to Walmart or, or Kmart or, or Walgreens or CVS, and you can pick up a DVD that's probably not more than five or ten bucks. We have a couple copies too. Yeah, you know. So you can borrow from us. Yeah. So you know, this is this is not hard to follow, and uh, we uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to use the study guide in the same sort of loose way that we did the C.S. Lewis study. And uh, so it'll be sort of a question and answer. Bethany and I will consider the questions, and and uh, you listen to her wisdom and the answers, and I'll, I'll pontificate when so inspired. But uh, the main thing we want to do to start is to um, just kind of do a quick overview. We already kind of did mm-hmm. like an overview of the movie. Uh, there are several characters that are uh, at different levels of importance, and yet the story would be incomplete without mm-hmm. any one of them. But George Bailey is the main character. He's played by James Stewart, and uh, his beautiful which is which is enough right there. But you can continue. Yeah, and his beautiful bride Donna Reed, Donna Reed, Mary Bailey, and Donna Reed, Reed never looked more beautiful than in that mm-hmm. movie, in my opinion. And uh, she is the perfect sort of small-town girl who has always loved George. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, then you have uh, George's friends, Bert the cop, Ernie the cab driver. Which is where Sesame Street got the names. Bert and Ernie. Ernie. Yeah. Isn't that a fun fact? That is an interesting fact, yeah. It's one of my favorite fun facts. Um, You have Violet Bix, who's kind of the, the, the... you know, that girl that we all had in high school who was a little bit flashier than the rest and, and but a sweet seemed to too. enjoy flaunting it, but at the same mm-hmm. time, she was more innocent than mm-hmm. you were led to believe. There's Harry Bailey. Harry Bailey, his um, younger brother. His younger brother who he saves at the beginning of the movie, which That's right. is one of the kind of key moments that I bet we'll get to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's um, Mr. Gower, Mr. the druggist. Gower, another key moment. A much, a very important character. Mm-hmm. And uh, his father, his yeah. mother. Yeah. Uh, his mother played by Beulah Bondi, who is like one of the great actresses of, actually most of the characters are played by, like Mr. Gower, uh, his character is, oh, I forgot the actor's name now, it's, it's in our information, but he was a famous stage actor. In the early twenties, Warner. Yeah, he he was a famous stage actor, well known for the so the, for the dignified characters he played, which which is why Mr. Gower being you know the drunkard at one point in this is so remarkable. Same thing with his father, he, he, Peter Peter Bailey is mm-hmm. is played by another uh, famous actor, and if you watch old movies as much as we do, you see him all the time, mm-hmm. and he plays like judges and things like that, and and. Uh, uh, so then there is really one of the most famous actors of the 20th century, <laughs> one of the greatest actors of the 20th century, and ironically, an actor who is almost universally known now as Mr. Potter, but in fact, in one the 20th century. One of 20- the worst characters of all time. He's one of the vilest yes. characters you've ever seen in movies. And what's really funny is people of the 20th century, especially the early part of the 20th century, will only remember Lionel Barrymore as this curmudgeonly, delightful, wonderful character. Because in most of his movies, he plays these really lovable people who just like to grumble and grouse about things. He was, in fact, confined to a wheelchair. In most of his movies, he plays in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, he played, um, uh, oh, come on, in, in uh, Dr. Kildare, um, 
which was a really wonderful radio show about a doctor, you know, a young doctor practicing medicine, and, and his uh, counterpart was, uh, I forgot the doctor's <laughs> name. It'll come to me in a minute. But it's played by Lionel Barrymore. So what's really funny is, is that people who knew Lionel Barrymore well when the movie came out, when, when It's a Wonderful Life came out, we're like, are you kidding me? But he's so, he, he plays Potter so well. Yeah, yeah. That, that you can't ever picture him as anything but Potter because he just does such a good job. And yeah. he really does play, like, Potter is one of the vilest, you're right. He's just yeah. awful. He's terrible. He's absolutely terrible. So I don't know... Uh, I guess that's, uh, of course, he has this sort of henchman. I don't even know if the guy's got a name, but it's this silent sort of lurch character that pushes him around everywhere and does his yeah. bidding. You know, and, and of course, Mr. Potter uh, owns almost everything in town, and he despises the Bailey building alone. Yeah. Would do anything to destroy it. And, uh, you know, that's kind of... we haven't mentioned Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy's oh, a very yeah. important character, and that kind of comes in... You know, yeah, Uncle Billy, who is another uh, character who's very well known. Thomas Mitchell. Thomas Mitchell is played uh, in so many movies, and I've seen him play everything under the sun. Uh, he was active right up into the late '60s, uh-huh. and there are movies in color with him, and 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 he's played every kind of character you can imagine. And well, I love Uncle Billy. So, so you know, him playing this sort of bumbling you know, character is really kind of interesting mm-hmm. because, again, I've seen him play uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrel Cowboys. I've seen him play, you know, rough characters and and, and sweet characters. He's done it all. Mm-hmm. And then finally, there's Clarence Oddbody. Yes. Who yes. is also played by a very famous actor and a well-known uh, uh, at that. He's been in, in dozens of old movies and uh, Henry Travers, mm-hmm. and and he's he's an interesting character. Um, there are a number of familiar faces. If you're my age and you watch a lot of old TV and old radio, lots of supporting actors who mm-hmm. are very familiar, um, and uh, and who you know are just back then. These guys worked all the time. Mm-hmm. They didn't come out with a movie every five years or whatever. These guys were showing up all the time in everything, you mm-hmm. know, TV, movies, you know, whatever. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm turning our podcast into more of a, you know, movie buff uh, person. Um, so, so basically, um, so getting back Clarence, to our study. Clarence is the only character that's not from really from Bedford Falls. That's right. Um, because even like. Uh, most of the other characters that factor in are are um, George's childhood friends like Sam and mm-hmm. some of the other characters like that. Um, but Clarence is not from Bedford Falls because Clarence is an angel. Mm, AS2, AS2, no less. Yes, <laughs> second class. He doesn't have wings yet. Yeah. and Which is a lot of fun because... <laughs> You know, if there's one thing I can take issue with in this movie is it perpetuates those weird beliefs about angels being... And if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we've talked about angels when we did our Revelation stuff. You know, (laughs) um, it doesn't matter because the story is awesome. So he... But there is a whole line of of humor and everything else in the movie that's based on the fact that Clarence Oddbody is a dead person who's come back as an angel, but he hasn't earned his wings yet. He hasn't earned his wings yet. Yeah, well, but he come, he's sent back because George is in trouble. Yep, and so he gets sent back to help George and and prior. So he gets sent back at the beginning of the movie, but we get to first see George is basically growing up and how he gets to the place well, where Clarence he needs. So the Clarence's movie help. the movie opens with a whole lot of people in this little town mm-hmm. praying for George Bailey, mm-hmm. and then it cuts to heaven mm-hmm. and there two stars are, there are two you know <laughs> celestial beings having a conversation about what to do about George Bailey and it's so 40s by the way it has that whole um, I, I mean because I've watched a lot of old movies I've watched a lot of old war movies and and you watch these old war movies and and then watch it's a wonderful life and and Joseph and and uh, let's see who's he talking it's Joseph 
the two angels or the two beings that are talking in heaven. One of them is Joseph, and the other one is somebody mm-hmm. else. And and uh, they're having this discussion about what to do to answer his prayer. And it sounds so strategic, like a couple of generals or you know Nimitz and and Halsey talking about the Pacific War. I mean, it has that sort well, of feel to it. I was just reading something the other day that I found. I think yesterday that was very true. Somebody was talking about they're recapping books that they read set in the 40s and they were saying that because it was the girl I was telling you about that read a book for every year starting with 1920 this year. Yeah, yeah. And she was talking about how once she had read books set in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, she realized like literature and film, same thing, I think, it was just super defined by the wars. Like you, yeah. even a book not about war or a movie not about war had elements and because it was so all-encompassing. So you're right. I mean, it yeah. really does sound really... Yeah, they they really do reflect the culture. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's move into the study just mm-hmm. a little bit here. I want to kind of keep our friends from experience more than about an hour, I think. <laughs> That's not fair, uh, given what we've learned about our audience. So um, the movie takes you on a review so so um joseph they, i don't know was it peter i that's bugging me now but they they're they're trying to clue clarence they're, yeah they're bringing clarence George up is. to speed yeah. yeah before you go help him you ought to know something about him shouldn't yeah. you i mean there's something sort of sarcastic in heaven about you know yeah so anyway. you get to so so then we as the viewers get to see this kind of movie of George's life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I our study's gonna take us in the direction here. So we don't wanna bypass it, um, but at the same time, you know, uh uh chronologically speaking, starts with George as a child, starts with him saving his brother's life. And losing his hearing. Yeah, in lose, one ear. losing his hearing in one ear as a result. And then it takes us to a moment when Mary Bailey, you know, as a little girl, leans into his bad ear and professes her love for him forever. (laughs) And I think that's wonderful. One of my favorite things is the lighter, the cigarette cigar lighter that's in Mr. Gower's (laughs) uh, store that where you make a wish. And if it lights, you know, George says, hot dog. And I, that's kind of a favorite of mine. And then they, they're all, you know, having fun together. There's another segment in George's childhood where he is working for Mr. Gower, the druggist, mm-hmm. and uh, he catches Mr. Gower at a very bad moment in Mr. Gower's life uh, where because of something terrible that has happened in his life, the death of his loved his son, mm-hmm. uh, he is a little drunk and he makes a terrible mistake with the prescription mm-hmm. that he's filling and George catches it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a whole series of things around that that are very important to the story. But the bottom line is, is he eventually comes back to Mr. Gower and says, I couldn't deliver this because you put something wrong in it. And he saved those children's lives. He saved Mr. Gower from disgrace and uh, yeah. and and worse, and uh, and then it gets to his his teenage years, mm-hmm. and uh, he has graduated, mm-hmm. and now has this moment where he's brought face to face with Mary again for the first time in a long time, and he's finally looking at her as a young woman. Mm-hmm. Can I just say, as an aside? The swimming pool always blows my mind because I'd never seen anything like that before. And movie lore tells us that in Southern California, there was, in fact, a high school with a combination basketball floor (laughs) and swimming pool. Uh, And they actually filmed that there. It's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. Here's another little piece of movie lore. Do you know who the jilted... Uh, date is who Mary's jilted Mil- date? Mary's got he's you know yeah. it's alfalfa oh I didn't know that that's right it was Carl um, what's Carl's last name but the young man that played alfalfa is Mary's jilted date well no offense but Jimmy Stewart's a better choice. who ends up dropping Jimmy Stewart <laughs> in the drink so you know kind of which, a classic alfalfa which, you know, moment he does as a bad thing but it really kind of 
helps George. And so they're walking back all wet (laughs) after that incident. And this is where we are in the story. So Mm -hmm. let's just listen to the segment now and then talk about this for a moment. I'd like to live in it. In that place? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't live in as a ghost. Now watch. It's right in the second floor there, see? What'd you wish, George? Well, not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I know what I'm gonna do tomorrow and the next day and next year and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm gonna see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college to see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? There you go. So George has just explained in complete detail how he has it all worked out. He's he's going to travel the world. Mm-hmm. He's going to see everything, yeah. Italy, Spain. He's going to see the Parthenon. He's going to come back to college and see if what they know. <laughs> he's he's going to build, build things. things. He's going to build skyscrapers and bridges and <laughs> and all of that and and then he's uh you know, he's he's going to to experience everything the world has to offer, and then he's going to change the world. And then this beautiful scene, and this this is like I said, I absolutely am in love with Mary Bailey. I I adore Mary because Bailey. she's the best. She is so amazing in this, and there she is, listening to him talk. And she's thinking about what she wants. And I, I'm trying to think of the way to say this. Mary really presents the way a lot of women think. I mean, I'm not saying all women are the same, but she is like the most classic traditional woman. She knows that she wants this man to have a life with her right there in Bedford Falls. And it's all written on her face. She never says a word. It's just written on her face. And then he realizes that she's not exactly paying attention to him. And so she takes a stone and she throws it at the old house. And then he asks her what she wished for. And she just does that coy thing that some women do. She just starts singing the song again and walking away. And it's just remarkable. It's it's a magnificent. It's great. Her her acting is just incredible in this particular case. So now the question. So think about a time in, in life that you wish, you know, you had it all worked out. You had it all figured out, what you wanted to do with your life, everything you thought you were going to be, everything you thought you were going to do, and then and then nothing went the way you planned. Maybe maybe a vacation. Uh, maybe, maybe you had some sort of... Uh, uh, plan for your life and something changed it forever um i have hundreds of stories that i could tell because i feel like every time i turn around life is going in a different direction than i thought it would Mm -hmm. so that my life has been defined by all of those changes that i wasn't planning for Mm -hmm. but i remember one of the biggest of all ever was when we were hours away from giving birth to what would be our fourth child, Nathan. And we were at the hospital with a completely perfect picture in our mind of what it was going to be like because we'd been there and done that three other times. And so we thought, well, you know, he'll be born. We'll spend a day or two at the hospital. We'll go home. We'll get back on with our life and everything will be wonderful. And then... At the time when he's just almost born, mm-hmm. just before he's almost all together into the world, 
I can see that he has this huge birth defect on his back. And I know something's really wrong. And just like that, just that fast, life changed forever. Mm -hmm. And you've lived it because you're older than him. And you experienced how life changed forever, even though you were a little kid at the time. Mm -hmm. And our whole lives in this family have been radically shaped by two children with spina bifida because it happened again when Ruthie was Mm -hmm. born. And so everything about our lives has been defined by this, these two people in our family with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And some of the things we wish we could do, some of the things we were going to do, we've never done. I used to think I was going to take my family camping every other weekend because I love being outdoors. Uh And we hardly ever have gone camping. And it's because it's just not very easy when you have people with disabilities, especially in wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. So what kind of, how would you react? And this is a question not only for you, Bethany, but for everyone who's listening to this. You know, how would you react if your vacation plans got waylaid by a completely unforeseen or unexpected circumstance? Has something like that ever happened to you? What is, see, our lives are tied together, so I don't know. This is weird, but maybe you have something that you can tell. I mean, I don't know. Um, I think there have probably been times, but... Yeah, Nothing see, like, you're you're kind of like me because of our lives being so closely tied together as father and daughter. You you know, you've just sort of gotten used to things never really <laughs> being a sure thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have our ideas about what we're going to do, but we just accept that it's mm-hmm. probably not going to go the way we think. So, mm-hmm. so we may have to excuse ourselves from this conversation in that regard because perhaps some people listening don't know what that's like and 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 so the question is is what's that like what's it like for you you know you think about it maybe you'd like to write us and tell us uh and maybe comment in the in the comment box associated with this podcast uh if nothing else just talk it over with someone who's listening to this with you and uh, you feel free to hit pause and talk this question over right Mm now so how would you describe George Bailey's plans for his life and, and uh, how that, uh, how, how, you know, comprehensively that was changed by what we're going to listen to now, which is the uh, unfortunate turn of events that changed all of his plans. Boy, that was telling Jojo, boy, you shut his big mouth. You should have heard him. What happened? We heard a lot of yelling. Well... We're being voted out of business after 25 years. Oh. Easy come, easy go. Here it is, help wanted, female. You still want me to hang around, George? Yeah, I'll be right down. Yeah, right? hey, you'll miss your train. You're a week late for school already. Go on. I don't know what's going on. Oh, never mind. Don't worry about that. They're putting us out of business. So what? I can get another job. I'm only 55. 56. Go on, go on. Hey, look, you gave up your boat trip. No, you don't want to miss college, too, do you? George. George. They voted Potter down. What? They want to keep it going. <laughs> you did it, George. You did it. They got one condition. Huh? Only one condition. What's that? And that's the best part of it. They've appointed George here as executive secretary to take his father's place. Oh, no, but Uncle Billy is... You can keep him on, that's all right. As secretary, you can hire anyone you like. Dr. Cannon, let's get this thing straight. I'm leaving. I'm leaving right now. I'm going to school. This is my last chance. Uncle Billy here, he's your man. But George, they'll vote with Potter otherwise. (laughs) I can't even hear it, but that scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, in our little GHM studio (laughs) here, I have headphones on. I can hear everything. (laughs) Bethany is not able to hear the segments but no but i hate when george is walking out the door and then they say that potter they're gonna vote for potter yeah if george leaves and george just stops and jimmy stewart is the bomb because the face is just like it he telegraphs everything on it it's just perfect yep yeah so there we are bethany i want you to look up a scripture um and uh, get ready to share that in okay. a second. It's Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. And while you're looking that up, let me just ask our friends. It has been said that we are either healing from a tragedy, suffering from a tragedy, or about to be broadsided by a tragedy. So, tragedy is a pretty ordinary part of people's lives. 
And I can tell you, certainly as a pastor, I'm very familiar with tragedy because I've watched a lot of people go through tragedy. Um, I've always sort of felt sorry for people who have lived uh, relatively trouble-free lives because I'm so afraid that they're not prepared for it because it's coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, nothing stays the same. You know, everything always changes. Mm-hmm. And it may not be something as tragic as the sudden death or uh, terrible accidents or tornadoes or whatever. It, it could be that something that changes your life forever happens because it was time for it to happen. And it's a question of whether you're ready or not. So tell us uh, what Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21 says. Well, it kind of starts in the middle of the story. Is that cool? Yeah, it's Jesus has just uh, heard about the death of his friend. Yeah, his cousin. His cousin. His cousin, John the Baptist, was just murdered. So it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting light. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit on, down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Yeah. So, Jesus had just been confronted with the tragic death of his cousin and and beloved friend, because you can be close friends with your cousins. Mm -hmm. Some are. Mm -hmm. And you know, they told him this, and then a second later, he's being confronted with, you have to do something. Boy, can I relate to this. You know, uh... When you're in a leadership position, people will look to you for leadership sometimes when you are not ready to do it, when you are emotionally, physically unwilling, Mm -hmm. and then you realize you don't have any choice. Mm -hmm. They're looking to you for leadership, and you've been called to be that leader, and so you do it. And if you do it in the spirit of Christ, I don't know that they ever realize how hard it was for you in that particular moment. I can really relate to that. Mm -hmm. So, what does Jesus do? He feeds the people. Mm -hmm. He responds to this news by feeding the people. Eventually, he will withdraw to a quiet place. Yeah. And he will pray. And he will consider all of these events in in a deeply reflective way. Now, the same sort of thing happens to George. He's been... He's, he's lost his worldwide trip that he was going to take because of the death of his father. Now he's given up going away to school because of the, the, the because uh, of board of directors saying the only way that this building and loan stays open is if you run it. So then he finally realizes that he and Mary need to get together and be married. And mm-hmm. so they get married. And all the money he's been saving forever, he decides he's going to spend on the fabulous... They're going to go on an amazing honeymoon. Honeymoon with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the stock market crash happens. Yeah. And what does George do that is Christ-like? That's beautiful. He, they go into the building alone, and, and there's people there just panicking because they can't get their money, and they want their money. And George realizes that there's no way... That they are going to be able to do anything, but he also knows he has two thousand dollars in in his pocket for his honeymoon, and which he, is a lot of money in which is a lot of money in twenty nine. And he and Mary look at each other and just start giving it. And the really beautiful thing I think isn't just what George does; it's the town because these people they're not you know some of them want all of like there's a couple that want everything they had in the building and loan, but then there's other townspeople who come up and they're like, oh, I'll get by on this much. And they asked George for $5. Like, and so, listeners, how many of you remember Grandma Walton? 
<laughs> yeah, she's the one. <laughs> Remember Grandma Walton? Because she's in this scene that is so profound. And <laughs> she says, could I have 1750? Yes. <laughs> and George kisses her. <laughs> yes. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> that lady was in so many movies as a support character. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. So. But, yeah. He, I mean, and he then gives away here's every what's dollar. really amazing. If you think about it. He starts with enough fishes and loaves for the multitude and ends up with $2. It's a complete reverse scenario yeah. of the fishes and yeah. the loaves. He feeds the multitude and then ends up with just $2. And another one of my favorite lines in the movie is, is somebody in the movie says, you know, let's put them in the bank and... And hope that they multiply. And the one, the secretary lady, who's a tremendous supporting actress, who's in everything, mm-hmm. she says, let's hope they're rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that line. Yeah. Well, and then I love, I, I don't know that it has anything to do with our study, but I love that instead of going on their honeymoon, they go to that old house that Mary threw a rock at. Yeah. And spend their honeymoon there. And that's where they end up living. Kind of like Mary planned it that way. Yep. And there's a beautiful friendship there. And that leads us to segment three. George is talking with Mary. And, uh... I know, I know. He didn't go. That's right. Not only that, but he gave his school money to his brother Harry and sent him to college. Harry became a football star, made second team All-American. Yeah, but what happened to George? George got four years older, waiting for Harry to come back and take over the building and loans. Now, there are plenty of jobs around somebody likes to travel. Look at this, here. Manzuela oil fields. Wanted, man with construction experience. Here's the Yukon. What, right here. Wanted, man with engineering experience. There she blows. You know what the three most exciting sounds in the world are? Uh-huh. Breakfast is served, lunch is served, no, dinner. No, 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 no. Anchor chains, plane motors, and train whistles. Peanut. There's the professor now. Uh-huh. Professor well, Phi Beta. George Geographic Explorer Bailey. No sled. Uncle no. Billy, I haven't changed a bit. Nobody ever changes oh, here. Oh, you know boy, that. I'm glad to see you. <laughs> Say, where's Mother? She's home cooking the fatted calf. Come on, let's go. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. George, Uncle Billy. I want you to meet Ruth. Hello. Ruth Dakin. Ruth Dakin Bailey, if you don't mind. That's right. Well, I wired you. I had a surprise. Here she is. Meet the wife. What do you know? Wife. How do you do? Congratulations. What am I doing? Congratulations. Oh, done it. Harry, you said you these two. Why don't you tell somebody? Oh, oh, What's a pretty girl like you doing marrying this two-headed brother of mine? Well, I'll tell you, it's purely mercenary. My father offered him a job. Oh, he's got you and the job. Well, Harry's cop run is over. Uh, George, about that job, Bruce spoke out of turn. I never said I'd take it. You've been holding the bag here for four years, and... Well, I won't let you down, George. I would like to... T- well, wait, wait a minute, I forgot the bags. I'll be right back. Here we go again. And I want to tell you that we're going to give the biggest party this town ever George, 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 that's all Harry ever talks about. Ruth, that's... What about the job? Oh, well, my father owns a glass factory in Buffalo. He wants to get Harry started in the research business. Uh, well, is it a good job? Oh, yes, very. Not much money, but a uh, good future, you know? Yeah. Harry's a genius at research. My father just fell in love with him. You did, too. More great acting, because Ruth is this really small character. She's sweet. And yet she is so... Utterly real, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and actually I just realized that I was speaking a little off because I was jumping ahead to the next yeah. segment. And so I got George and Mary married <laughs> before we played this segment. Yeah. So so anyway, this is, beg your pardon, people, I can either go back and re-record it right or you can just, you <laughs> know. With us. And those of you who do real life face-to-face podcast or uh, <laughs> Bible studies with me know that this is just kind of how it goes. So George... George, at this point in this scene, is still hoping for his chance 
yeah. to go off, go to college, do what he wanted to do. And his chance, he thought, was coming when Harry came home. Right. Because Harry came home and would take over. Right. And Harry comes home with a beautiful fiance whose and father happens to offer him a really good job. Yeah. And, and, then, and then, of course, the party happens. Yes. And his beautiful mom, you know, and, and it's really funny because uh, Beulah Bondi usually plays these really kind of crusty characters, <laughs> and she's absolutely warm and, mm-hmm. and lovely. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I got to say it just because it's one of my favorite segments in the movie, too. There was an accident that stayed <laughs> in the movie, and it's absolutely delightful. Is There's a scene where Uncle Billy is drunk. <laughs> and he's talking with George and, and you know, George, uh, you know, offers him uh, his hat and he says, where's my hat? It's the one in the middle, you know. And so he knows his uncle is drunk and he's trying to help his uncle get directed in the right way. And so he gives his uncle uh, a shove and the character, the actor walks off screen and behind the camera equipment, behind the lights and all of that and crashes into something. And I don't remember what it was, but he knocked over a bunch of stuff as he walked off set. And he yells from off set, I'm all right. I'm all right. And and Jim, Jimmy Stewart genuinely laughs. Yeah. <laughs> and they leave it in because it's perfect. He he was staggering drunk and he fell over something, you know. So it was absolutely delightful. A real <laughs> A real-life accident yeah. stays in the movie because it fits so perfectly. And, and honestly, Frank Capra is the only guy that, you know, one of the few directors who would have said, no, that's, that's perfect. perfect, leave it yeah. in. <laughs> and then right after Uncle Billy walks away, there's a really fantastic scene between George and his mom. Yeah. After they've celebrated Harry's bride yeah. and his job and his, it's, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then they go, I don't know how we're going to keep this under an hour. I know. And then they go to, uh, to um, – he goes over to Mary's house and – Because his mom encourages him to – And they realize – he realizes finally that he, he finally breaks down and realizes that he's not meant to leave Bedford Falls. Mm-hmm. He is meant to stay and start a life with Mary. Mm-hmm. And he accepts all of that. It's a powerful scene. Mary – you know, Donna Reed just kills it. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's a funny thing, you know, because another really minor character is is Mary Bailey's Mrs. Hatch, who's up there crying her eyes out because she wanted her daughter to marry the rich guy, you know, the rich playboy, you know. So <laughs> anyway, and now they're married. The phone scene. And, it's you know, favorite. mother's on the extension. No, I'm not. <laughs> He's making passionate love to me. Oh, it's a great movie. Such a great movie. We're going to end up telling the whole movie. I know. All right, here we go. (laughs) Here's the segment that I was alluding to earlier now. Now listen to me. I I beg of you not to do this thing. I love this. If Potter gets a hold of this building and alone, there'll never be another decent house built in this town. He's already got charge of the bank. He's got the bus line. He's got the department stores. And now he's after us. Why? Well, it's very simple. Because we're cutting in on his business. That's why. Because he wants to keep you living in his slums and paying the kind of rent he decides. Joe, you had one of those Potter houses, didn't you? Well, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he charged you for that broken down shack? Here, Ed, you know, you remember last year when things weren't going so well and you couldn't make your payments? Well, you didn't lose your house, did you? You think Potter would have let you keep it? Can't you understand what's happening here? Don't you see what's happening? Potter isn't selling, Potter's buying. And why? Because we're panicky and he's not, that's why. He's picking up some bargain. Now, we, we can get through this thing, all right. We, we've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? i got doctor bills to pay. I need cash. I can't I keep Arkin's own faith. I've got to have... How much do you need? Hey! I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? $242. Oh, Tom, just enough to tide you over into the bank reopens. I'll take $242. There you are. That'll close my account. Your account's still here. That's a loan. Okay. All right, Ed. Well, I got $300 here, George. All right, now, Ed, what'll it take until the bank opens? What, what do you need? Well, I, I suppose... 
$20? Now you're talking. Right. Thanks, Ed. That's fine. All right, now, Miss Thompson, how much do you want? But it's your own money, now, George. Don't mind about that. How much do you want? Well, I can get along with $20, all right. $20, fine. And I'll sign there the papers. You don't have to sign anything. I know you. You pay when you can. That's okay. All right, Miss Davis. Could I have $17.50? That's <laughs> your heart. Of course, you can have it. You got there it is. <laughs> Grandma Walton. It. Yeah. Well, and again, we, we screwed up and told that story already. So George, he's he's married to Mary. His uh, his honeymoon's been ruined. All of his money's gone. And now he is uh, finally coming home, and he's now married to Mary. And this is the next segment. some sort of an accident, my company shortened their accounts. The bank examiner got there today. I've got to raise $8,000 immediately. Oh, that's what the reporters wanted to talk to you about. The reporters? Yes, they called me up from your building and loan. Oh, there's a man over there from the DA's office, too, who's looking for you. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you, please? Can't you see what it means to my family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building and loan, I'm... George, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books? No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere. You misplaced $8,000? Yes, sir. Well, I'll have you notified the police? No, sir, I, I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're going to believe that one. <laughs> What have you been doing, George? Um, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir. No, sir. I haven't. What is it? A woman, then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> well, what kind of security would I have, George? Have you got any stocks? No, sir. Bond? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes, uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500? And you asked me to lend you 8000 Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have thought? You know why? Because they run you out of town on a rail. But I tell you what I'm going to do. For and there we go. This is the final segment in this session, and it's the segment that reminds us that evil has a place in the changing of our plans, mm -hmm. that some things are circumstantial, some things are just life happening, and then there's the reality that evil is mm -hmm. always there looking for an opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, is the more good you do, the more of a difference you make to bring about the kingdom of God in a real uh, expression. Now, you know, this movie doesn't present an overtly Christian message, but that's all over the movie because it's a Christian value that we would do things to better our world by mm -hmm. being like Christ. Well, and this that clip takes place kind of significantly down the road. Like, this yeah. is... George and Mary have been married for a while. They have, like, five kids. Yeah. Like, they have a whole parcel of children. And they've done all kinds of things in Bedford Falls. Yeah. To make life better for people. Like, Mr. Martini, one of yeah. his good friends that comes up. Yep. The reason that that is a good friendship is because George and Mary made it their mission to make sure that everybody in town had housing. Yeah. And so, they t and, and so Potter hates him because... 
George is looking out for everybody and Potter's looking out for himself. That's exactly right. That really sums it up beautifully. And so one of these days, you're going to, whoever you are, you're going to be thwarted by evil. Mm -hmm. Nothing less. Mm -hmm. I've experienced it. Um, I can honestly say that there are two things that happen when evil strikes me. Number one, the first thing I do is I sort of deny it because I don't think I'm good enough to deserve torment from the enemy. Because Mm -hmm. I think, no, 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 there are way better people than me out there. There are way better Christians than me out there. This isn't the enemy. This is my fault. Mm -hmm. I'm the reason that this is happening to me. I'm not good enough, and that's why I'm having this problem. And then later on, the Lord reveals to me, no, that's the enemy. You didn't do anything wrong. It's because you're doing it right that the enemy is attacking. Mm -hmm. And then that forces me to recognize that the enemy is using people around me. And that's really hard for me because who am I to condemn anyone and say that they are being used by the enemy or that they are the enemy? And because they've allowed themselves to be the embodiment of the enemy. And I'm going to tell you right now, it happens in church all the time. There are a lot of evil deeds that are done within the body of the church Mm -hmm. because the enemy creeps into someone, capitalizes on their pride and their sin, Mm -hmm. and then uses them to do evil. And the evil is that it's direct opposition to obedience to Christ. Mm -hmm. So when we see a group of people in a church or a community trying to obey Christ and live Christ-like lives, and then we see an enemy coming in, even if it's someone who professes to be on the same mission as you. Uh, Potter considered himself a leading citizen in the community. He considered himself part of the community. And yet, he didn't care about anybody else in the community. No. He wanted to control it all. And so, he may have thought of himself as part of the body, but in fact, he was an enemy to the body. Mm-hmm. And yet, the battle against that evil also shapes the community and shapes people like George. So, it's a remarkable lesson. Mm-hmm. And, and it's important for us to remember that these things happen in our lives, too. Um, our study says that C.S. Lewis once wrote to his close friend, Arthur Greaves, rest, recommending that Christians stop regarding all the unpleasant things and interruptions of one's life. He wrote, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth, of course, is that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. Mm-hmm. The life God is sending one day by day. Mm-hmm. And that is so true. And if there's one thing that Growing older gives you, it's the wisdom to recognize that, Mm -hmm. that everybody's life is about the interruptions. I have said for decades now that when people interrupt me in my office while I'm doing tasks like writing sermon notes, writing outlines for Bible studies, uh, making long-range plans and writing letters and all of this business stuff that I do... And someone walks in and interrupts me, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. And I always look at them and say, no, you don't understand. My job's about the interruptions. Mm -hmm. And that's really true Mm -hmm. because the interruptions are when the priestly pastoral role is filled. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not that I'm not doing important pastoral things when I'm working alone, but in those moments when people interact with me, I have been given the opportunity to represent Christ to them and how I do that defines the quality of that representation. And so, really, life is all about the interruptions. It's all about the things that go wrong. Yeah. And what happens to people who live their plans and work their plans is is that they get to what they planned for and they realize that a whole lot of life went by and they don't even remember it. Yeah. You know? Yep. Your great-grandmother just passed away Mm -hmm. a couple of days ago. She was 94 years old. She had a wonderful life. Mm -hmm. But I often wonder if I could live to 94 years, you know, would I regret anything? And I would say I would regret the parts I don't remember. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't mean because I don't physically have the ability anymore, you know. I'm just saying if there was any part of it that I wasn't paying attention to because I was 
you know, not seeking every moment of life that I could. Well, I think when you're young, like when George is ready to go off and see the world, that's the time. Well, and I, I hope for most people that's the only time. But I think when you're like college age, you, you know, you're just trying to get through high school and college so you can get on to real life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, yeah, I know a certain clergy person that it was a big influence on my life. And it occurred to me that this person had spent more time uh, attaining the degree so that they could do the job than actually learning anything while they were attaining mm-hmm. the degrees. Yeah. Um, as if the learning process wasn't just as important as the thing you wanted to do when you got the degree. And yeah. uh I will I will put it this way, using myself as an example. We just came back from my fourth trip to the Holy Land, your second trip mm-hmm. to the Holy Land. And I told people on the trip, I said, I just want you to understand, I didn't come here to sleep. Yeah, yep. Remember that? Same. <laughs> I told people that I did not go all the way over there to sleep. That wasn't the point of the trip, that I would sleep when I got home. And so every moment that we were on the bus... Even if we were in Jordan driving two and a half hours to get to the next stop, my face was plastered to the window. Mm-hmm. I saw people napping. I saw people reading books. I'm not mad at them for that. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Some people needed to rest because where we were going next was going to require all of their energy, like Petra. <laughs> but I'm just saying I chose for myself to spend every minute looking out the window because I thought, when am I ever going to be on a bus driving across this desert in Jordan again? I want to see it. I want to remember what it was like. Although, admittedly, the desert in Jordan looks the same all three hours. It really does. And yet, every now and again, a little (laughs) shop will pop up. A Bedouin village will pop up. Um, something unexpected will be seen, something that you just never thought you'd see there, mm-hmm. you know? Definitely. But my my approach to life, and I'm not bragging or, or anything, I'm just telling you this is this is perhaps because this it's a wonderful life type thing has happened to me. And I've realized that I don't want to miss a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been this way since I was a little kid. I've had people tell me that, you know, that when you're a little kid, you're just like always so I feel grateful for that. I thank God for that. So I would just encourage you to experience every minute of your life. Don't miss a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll never regret it. Always have time for the interruptions, especially when they're coming from people you care deeply about, which is a perfect segue into prefacing our next episode. Mm-hmm. In episode two, lesson two, we will talk about how George saw everyone as a human being. And I think that's going to be a powerful lesson. Yeah. So we want to thank you folks for listening. We're honored. Uh, This is obviously a little longer than the C.S. Lewis study, but we're trying to cram it into four lessons. Yeah, because this is just for this month. This just for the month of December. And so you can just consider this a special series. Mm -hmm. We are in discussion right now about what we're going to do in the spring, which we will be able to spread out and take a longer time. And I am looking at some material where we're going to take Doctor Who on. Which I'm just giddy about. Um, and we're going to do a little bit of Doctor Who and the Bible and Christianity. And if you are one of our regular listeners, you know that Bethany and I often refer to <laughs> Doctor Who's time machine as a way of illustrating some of the things we see in the Bible. So, Doctor should Who comes be interesting. Up in conversation for me pretty often in general. That's so. true. <laughs> so there's a little preview of what's coming next. As for the next episode, though, we will record it soon and have it ready for you. Um, if you're a regular listener, we try to have these loaded and ready to go by Thursday night. Um, this one's being recorded on Friday. Uh, December the 6th, and we're going to upload it just as soon as the post-production's ready. So, uh, you'll have this one by Friday night, and then next week's hopefully by Thursday night, and that's what we'll keep doing right through mm-hmm. uh, to Christmas. And we'll finish this series, and maybe, maybe we'll finish this series with a reading of a certain short story that a certain person you're listening <laughs> to wrote. That was sort of a personal sequel. Not this person. It was me. 
I wrote a short story. Many, I'm a reader, not a writer. <laughs> I wrote a short story many years ago about the uh, about myself and a place where I was in my life, and I wrote about uh, a mysterious visit to Bedford Falls, and I hope you like it. So that's what we'll do when we get to the end of the series. For now, we want to thank you for listening. Remember, you can learn anything you want to know about us and Shiloh United Methodist Church by going to shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. We say that every week. And uh, it would mean the world to us to hear from you. So please drop us a line, if only to say thank you. We're listening. In the meantime, we just ask God to bless you, and we'll see you next time. Bye.